Hello, and welcome back to Music Therapy and Beyond. My name is Alyssa, and today we're back to celebrate Record Store Day, which was October 24th, so the day before this episode airs. And this is a fun, obscure little music holiday, so I thought we could celebrate by first giving a little history of the vinyl record, and then talk about using music recording in music therapy sessions. This is a music technology-based intervention that has become more popular with widespread access to recording softwares. So, with that, let's get to it. in the resurgence of vinyl record popularity. Even in a music streaming era, you can once again find all your favorite current hits on vinyl records. While they're more for purists or hobby enthusiasts, vinyl records were once groundbreaking technology that made music widely available to the general population. Having a record player became available to households everywhere, and music listening, buying, and selling really faced a whole new advent of possibility. In the year 1857, Edouard Leon Scott, a French inventor, created a device called a phonograph. This device used a vibrating pen to graphically represent sounds onto paper discs. The phonograph, or phonograph, recorded the first recording of the human voice in the year 1860. This 22nd recording features what was initially believed to be a woman singing the French lullaby Au Claire de la Lune. After audio historians restored the audio, it was actually found to be a man singing the lullaby and presumably Scott himself. This device was able to record sounds, however, it wasn't until Thomas Edison took the phonograph concept and adapted it to be able to replay the sounds that we were able to listen to what it had recorded. So the original recorded sounds were not available to anyone to hear played back until the late 1870s. So you can actually hear this lullaby recording for yourself and I will make sure to include a link to the original and remastered versions in the show notes. So be sure to check that out, it's pretty interesting. Just over a decade after the phonograph, we are given the gramophone by German-American inventor Emil Berliner. Rather than paper or tin discs, this device played vinyl records. Now, it had to be manually operated at 70 RPM and used 7-inch rubber vulcanite discs with small grooves cut into its surface. Over the next decade, these records would undergo multiple material alterations and size adjustments, with the 10-inch 78 RPM design remaining the most reliable and popular for the next 50 years or so. Now, in 1901, after the turn of the century, the Red Seal line of record players was released, which was capable of playing records automatically. In 1948, Peter Goldmark invented the long play record, which could hold up to 21 minutes of recording on each side of the record. These long play records were 12 inches wide and played at 33 and one third RPM. Now, not too long after this, RCA Victor released a seven inch 45 RPM version, which was a more portable option. 
These are the dimensions used most widely up to the present day. The vinyl record proves to have stood the test of time despite many challengers, and while it's not the most commonly used music listening method for everyday listening, it is the oldest and has never become obsolete. Now, because of early technology like the phonograph and the record, music recording and listening software has evolved and is now standard on all computers, tablets, and almost all smart devices. Music therapy as a field has benefited greatly from the ability to listen to and share music. As clinicians, we're able to learn new music, record resources for our clients, and clients benefit from music shared by their favorite artists. We all do. We're able to connect over music listening, learning, and creating. I mean, learning repertoire would be exponentially more difficult had it not been for inventors like Edward Leon Scott. Between records and digital file storage, I don't know how we would do our jobs without them. I've heard horror stories from seasoned therapists about having to, like, orally copy chord charts by ear and music from records onto actual paper to be able to use sheet music in a session. That's not super outdated, but I can't imagine how long that would take to prep for a single session. Oh my goodness. Well, in my research for this episode, I came across a really interesting article in the Music Therapy Voices Journal about the use of recording technology in music therapy for adult clients with concurrent disorders in an inpatient treatment facility. This article was written by authors Kevin Kirkland and Shannon Nesbitt out of Vancouver, Canada, and it was published in July of 2019. I'll cite the article and include a link to the PDF in the show notes so that you can access it for yourself, and I do recommend that you do that. So the first question you might have is why use recording as an intervention in music therapy? Well, the authors have an answer. Quote, the integration and layering of musical composition with musical performance Digital technologies and production invite rich and engaging conversations about therapeutic goals, processes, and outcomes, end quote. This article is a discussion of and a reflection of the experiences of the authors in light of a lack of research and on the use of digital technologies, specifically recording in music therapy. The authors propose that the use of recording in music therapy is a, quote, potent and legitimate framework for music therapy, end quote. So let's talk gear and laying the groundwork for how these interventions even function. So the authors describe their studio setup and emphasize the importance of professional quality equipment as part of the therapeutic benefit to this intervention. Their studio utilized a 24-inch Apple desktop computer with GarageBand, a Focusrite Scarlett 18i6 audio interface with eight XLR MIDI quarter-inch inputs, a Mackie mixing board, and a road condenser mic along with earphones to minimize the bleed during recording. The studio also has an electric drum kit, um, a bass, electric and acoustic guitars with compatible pickups, and a full-size Yamaha digital piano, all of which can be connected into the same interface. And because of the capability of the instruments to input directly into the mixing board and the interface to hold that many inputs, they noted that they could cleanly record up to eight instruments at a time at high quality. The authors noted that the participants often expressed feeling impressed by the equipment and regardless of their knowledge on recording or their experience level, they were highly motivated to participate and were impressed by the resources available to them. 
There were several questions that the authors kind of sought to discuss and answer in the article, and they are as follows. Quote, when can recording function as a music therapy technique? How important is the product that is the actual recording produced in the course of therapy? What do clients notice and hear in their recordings? Can recordings be used as text to document, analyze, and evaluate individual and group participation, engagement, and progress in specific areas over time? What benefit does recording afford clients in terms of their recovery and well-being? What kinds of planned and organic structures and decisions would support the use of composition, recording, and production as purposeful music therapy interventions? In short, how could we draw on the wonder and power of recording to inform our roles and responsibilities as music therapists to support clients' health in our sessions? End quote. Now, there are a lot of good questions there and a lot of room for discussion. So let's keep going and kind of dig into this and break apart what it was that they found. So the therapists note that they are guided by the belief that therapeutic change is motivated by the therapist and client relationship. They also found inspiration in Borkson's recovery model, which focuses on themes of hope, healthy self-concept, empowerment, and meaning. They said, when we speak of recording as a technique of music therapy, we are suggesting first that it has application for purposes of therapeutic change in clients, and second, that it has the capacity to improve clients' health by offering a framework to develop healthy senses of agency and self-concept, as well as skills needed to manage everyday decisions and recovery. In other words, recording programs and the intentions, experiences, and the outcomes they encompass have the potential to be dynamic and creative catalysts for individual and group music therapy sessions when guided by thoughtful planning and consideration of client needs and backgrounds. End quote. The clients benefiting from the services included adults in recovery for often multiple levels of substance use disorders concurrent with one or more Access One mental health diagnoses. The clients were living in a tertiary care facility and received specialized care, often by court order as an alternative to prison, um, but some of which was non-voluntary. The authors described their approach as follows. Quote, in this healthcare environment, a key focus for clients with concurrent disorders is optimal health at different levels and stages of recovery. One level is the quality of life for clients through programs that offer a sense of hope and positive change. Another level is decision-making skills. We ascribe to anti-oppressive practice, which seeks to empower clients with decision-making processes and to provide programming centering around the client's musical resources and skills. End quote. So if I had to kind of compare this to music therapy approaches, I would say this falls very much into humanistic and community-based music therapy approaches. Now, within the studio, the authors described opportunities for learning and problem solving, and clients were encouraged to develop and build skills musically and with the equipment in a collaborative and respectful environment. The program emphasized both therapeutic value in the process and the product that clients created and participated in for both instrumental and more lyric-based or um, electronic-based music. In terms of program structure, the authors describe four applications for recording that they used. One, vocal recording. Two, instrumental recording. Three, recording and video production. And four, recording and electronic composition. The group programming that they provided um, were categorized this way. Rap and recovery sessions. 
a program for recovery-based lyric writing and recording, and recording studio, sessions for individual and collaborative recording projects, which can be any variation of vocal, instrumental, and electronic music. They also note that they provided individual music therapy sessions, which could include any of these components or kind of fall under any of these categories of programming, depending on the individual. The article goes on to break down each of these program offerings, so let's start with vocal. To quote the article, examples of vocal recording we witness include songwriting, rapping, singing, vocalization, beatboxing, freestyling, and speaking. In recording sessions, clients may use original music or perform a cover version of a pre-composed song. Vocal recording also includes opportunities for mindful listening, another oral language proficiency. End quote. For the rap and recovery sessions, um, the therapist noted that with a social justice-informed approach to the rap and recovery programming, the session preparation included several components that I personally find helpful Um, to think about, especially if this is an intervention that maybe you're not as familiar with or something that you're considering offering more to your clients. An overarching theme of each group song was planning and preparing for change. So i.e. where does the story go during and after recovery? They said this can be a theme for a hook or a chorus in a song. And typically each week, the music therapist would curate a beat and a title or theme for the work. This could be something like, quote, a year from now, or when I'm kind to myself. Now, after the group chose a theme, they would write and record lyrics to the beat. The music therapist will note images, themes, and recurring thoughts and words used across the group. Freestyle was generally not preferred. However, it was found to be a helpful tool to release some uncensored thoughts and kind of default impulses, which can also be a helpful tool for processing after the freestyle. The authors find that sometimes the insight of therapy comes out of the recording, or even when a client listens to their own recording and begins to recognize disjointed thinking or considers answers to questions like, what is this song about? The authors state, quote, Whereas music-centered approaches emphasize the centrality of music as a catalyst for change, we feel that insight-based discussions of lyric content offer different perspectives of a topic and that revelations shared can promote bonding and empathetic behaviors among group members or within an individual, end quote. So here, I want to encourage you to go read this article in its entirety because throughout it are these really beautiful client stories, these little vignettes relating to each of the program offerings um, that kind of illustrate some of the impact that each of these groups had on clients that experienced them. And while I could read them to you, I think it's truly better to read them for yourself. So make sure you go check it out because I found them to be pretty inspiring, regardless of your background or approach or maybe even your opinion on using music recording and therapy. Um, The testimonials were really beautiful. So moving on to instrumental, clients had the opportunity to record both pre-recorded music, like covers of songs, um, or improvisational music on various instruments. The authors note that generally the clients are so enthusiastic to record music that it was common to record a 20-minute improvisational session without taking a break. Many clients were practicing music in isolation, and some of them struggled to record with others in a group setting. So when reviewing these recordings, there is an opportunity for musical and therapeutic dialogue with the clients about the music, the technology, 
their favorite moments of the session, etc. And the feedback they noted received from the program is that generally the clients felt that music making was quote-unquote elevated in the recording studio. Now the last component to go over is digital composition. So similar to live instrument composition, the music therapists utilize digital and software instruments as a resource for clients to create and record original compositions. This required an in-depth working knowledge of software and the technology needed on the part of the therapist. Quote, traditional views of composition may include creating chords and lyrics or score for a song. Electronic composition is done on screen and is therefore more visual and auditory rather than written. Possibilities for creative expression through electronic means are akin to those expressed on traditional instruments. However, electronic composition may also involve experimental forms of composing, using new elements, frameworks, sounds, genres, and ideas about what what constitutes music. Beat making used for electronic composition, for example, falls into the category of sound expression and musical talent, end quote. I think this is a really interesting component to consider when talking about the use of electronic instruments in therapy, and especially for recording. It is very much a different sensory experience, as they noted, and there is a lot of benefit on a biologic and physiologic level when you're talking about like resonance and vibration, tactile stimulation, um, especially with in-person rhythm. However, I think if you're talking about creativity and maybe even some almost anonymity when creating music, um, digital software instruments can be a really unique and seemingly more accessible resource because while you have a client that um, may not be a musician and may not have any experience with playing an instrument, if they could put together a whole symphony of electronic instruments, then perhaps the therapeutic benefit could be different or could be similar depending on what your goals are. It might intrigue them to be interested in playing an instrument or it might unlock an ability that they have to compose music when they were always told their whole life, you're not a good singer, so get out of the choir. You know what I mean? So it might be kind of more of an accessible point for them and they can really get creative with um, recorded music and arranging and a lot of higher executive function skills in the process of composing electronic music. So that's just my kind of thought and something that I'm um, thinking about and um, reflecting on some experiences where I've used electronic um, music composition with my clients and I'm just thinking about the benefits that I observed for them and how it really empowered them to create something that was their own in some type of music when um, maybe they would not have been able to do so with traditional composition. So a final component and kind of a natural next step to the digital capturing of audio recordings is presenting them visually also. So music videos of both live and recorded projects um, was an opportunity for clients to have a legacy record of their experience and successes in music therapy and their recovery journey at this facility. So some of these challenges to these interventions are space, lack of equipment, lack of versatility, and lack of training um, that many music therapists feel that they, they don't have, they don't 
feel like they know how to use the software and the equipment that they need to know in order to run a studio like this. Some other boundaries that might be barriers to access could include clients not having an email address or access to a computer to listen to their work on. Um, a, a factor to consider is a more practical element, such as the length of treatment time. Some clients these authors found may benefit from a completed project and a single session. Um, some clients did not have more than one session to complete a project. So you do have to take into consideration the feasibility of a complete recording project in the span of maybe 60 minutes. As for access for the clients to the music, the therapist in the article found that cloud-based file sharing was much more practical than um, hard CD copies of music. They felt like the CDs often got scratched or broken or lost, especially if clients were moving facilities. Um, thinking practically in this common era, CD players are no longer widely accessible. I actually... For all of the technology that I have in my life, in my car, in my house, um, and just access in my everyday life, I do not have access to a disk drive at all. Um, so no one, if you were going to buy me a CD for Christmas, you can just take it back right now because I don't have a way to listen to it. So cloud-based sharing like um, Apple Cloud or Google Drive is something that clients can put on their cell phone, they could put it on their tablet, they could put it on their computer, and they could share it with family members. And having a digital copy is um, a lot harder to destroy than scratching a CD. They also noted that songs or recordings that included offensive or violent themes um, should be processed as a first course of action and should not be shared in the treatment facility or with other clients. The therapist noted specifically that they held a firm zero-tolerance policy when it came to disseminating music that victimized others. This was something that they did not share and they did not allow their clients to share with others in the facility if um, music included themes like that. So to close, the music therapist in this article laid out a much more in-depth case for the use of therapeutic recording in music therapy. Now, I would be curious to hear from some of our listeners how have you used recording in music therapy? And if you haven't, why not? Are there methods that you have found particularly helpful for facilitating these types of sessions with groups or individuals? I would love to hear your thoughts about it. So if you have thoughts, um, please send them to us at musictherapyandbeyond at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us via our social media. So make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date with all of our offerings and special announcements. But thank you to you all for hanging with me and happy Record Store Day. If you haven't listened to a record in a while, maybe now's a good time to brush them off. Or if you want to take a trip down memory lane, hop on over to a record store and dig through and, and maybe you'll find something good. I don't know. It could be kind of fun. But thank you for all of the work that you do in all the places that you do it. We'll see you next time.